Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway, a United Methodist community in Portland, Maine. If you live locally, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Visit our website at www.hopegateway.com to learn more. But whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. big day for a whole bunch of reasons. First of all, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Now, since the Patriots aren't playing this year, I'm guessing there's about an 80% less interest in the room today. But do we have any Kansas City fans? Okay. Kind of, sort of. They are the underdog, aren't they? How about San Francisco fans? See, not really any fans. And how, how many people just have philosophical and practical issues with the NFL anyway and don't Okay, there's that. How many are in it for the commercials? Okay. Let's hear it for the halftime show. And the snacks. Really, that's what it's about, right? It's really about the snacks. There, we got that established. Well, thank you to those of you who brought in food for our Super Bowl of Caring uh, observance. Super Bowl of Caring was started, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago by a youth group, a small church youth group. Who, who noticed the disparity on Super Bowl Sunday. On the one hand, so much con- food consumed in one evening all over this country, right? On the other hand, so many people that didn't have adequate food at their table and thought it would be a good way to kind of seize this moment to make a difference. And so they used this little pun, Super Bowl, and they started collecting gifts of money in a soup bowl, as we will today, and inviting people to bring in food, and that caught on, and now there are literally thousands and thousands of churches and, and uh, faith communities of all kinds and schools that participate in Super Bowl of Caring, and all of the money and all of the food stays in the local communities where it's, where it's collected. Nothing goes to any like big you know, um, institutional organization. It's, it's a very much a local grassroots effort. So as Sarah mentioned, the soup kettle will be here today, and we'll receive gifts of um, cash or checks made out to Hope Gateway. Um, You can also give online during the week through our website. And all of the money that we collect and all of the food that we collect will go to Sacred Heart Food Pantry in the Parkside neighborhood to help feed our neighbors. And Project Feed Feed at Woodford Church. Excellent. So here are the numbers from last year. Last year we collected 845 food items and $717 in the kettle. So let's see if we can beat those. The youth group is going to collect and sort the food. Uh, there'll be some food coming from a couple other churches, and we'll hope um, that we surpass pass those numbers today. So Super Bowl Sunday, that's one reason why it's a big day. What else is today? Groundhog, Groundhog Day. I was ready for that. America's oddest tradition, right? The day we wait for a groundhog in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, to tell us if spring is coming or not. And uh, I caught a little bit of that ceremony this morning. It was snowing in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and the groundhog did not see its shadow, uh, which means absolutely nothing if we live in Maine, because 
whether or not we have at least six more weeks of spring uh, ahead of us. So um, Groundhog Day actually is an extension of, a, of an ancient uh, holiday called Imbolc that goes back to the ancient Celts. Uh, they marked this day because it is halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. This is the midpoint of the winter. And they believed that it was a day of, um, uh, the day when the earth came back to life, a day to celebrate the fertility of Mother Earth. So we are at a, a point, a midpoint of the, the winter, and we're giving thanks for light, returning light and life, and the promise that eventually spring will come. The third reason why it's a big day, yes, exactly. See, I was one step ahead of you. This is also a palindrome day. O two O two two O two O. You know, a palindrome is a, a word or a number that is the same forward and backward. And there's some really interesting things about this one. Um, if you are in a place like the United States that usually starts with the month and then the day and then the year, it's a whoops. If you're, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It is a palindrome. But if you come from a culture that has the day first, like most of the world, a day and then month, it's still a palindrome. And in Asian countries, where they generally start with the year, it's a palindrome that way, too. So a little trivia about this. The last time there was an eight-digit palindrome date was 909 years ago. November 11th in the year 1111. That was a while ago, right? The next one will be on December 12th uh, in the year 2121. That's 101 years from now. Anyone planning to be around to celebrate that one in 101 years? <laughs> well, if you make it to that one, the next one after that isn't until March 3rd in the year 3030, 909 years. So just interesting. Live it up, friends. This only comes around once in a while. <laughs> Palindrome Sundays. Enough trivia. Today we're in the fifth week of this worship series called Active Hope, inspired by a book by that title written by Joanna Macy and uh, Chris Johnstone, which some of you are reading in a book study group. Here's what Joanna Macy says about this concept of active hope. She says, active hope is a practice. Like Tai Chi or gardening, it is something we do rather than have. It is a process we can apply to any situation, and it involves three key steps. First, we take in a clear view of reality. Second, we identify what we hope for in terms of the direction we'd like things to move or the values we'd like to see expressed. And third, we take steps to move ourselves in, or our situation in that direction. Okay, you got the three steps? Take a clear stock of reality. The good, the bad, the ugly. What is the current reality? Second, think about how you would like things to be different. And third, make a plan to move in that direction. Okay, three steps of active hope. She continues, since active hope doesn't require our optimism, we can apply it even in areas where we feel hopeless. The guiding impetus is intention. We choose what we aim to bring about, act for, or express. Rather than weighing our chances and proceeding only when we feel hopeful, we focus on our intention and let it be our guide. I don't know about you, I find those words to be really encouraging because there's so much 
about our world that feels pretty hopeless. But that doesn't stop us from leaning in and taking action and moving, moving in the ways that we can toward a more hopeful place. So, quick review of where we've been. Uh, Sarah mentioned this diagram. This is what Joanna Macy calls the spiral of the work that reconnects. Starting in the lower right quadrant with gratitude and then honoring our pain, seeing with new eyes. So we've been going through these steps over the last several Sundays. Uh, starting with gratitude, honoring our pain, seeing with new eyes. And then under the sort of category of seeing with new eyes, we talked about a deeper sense of self and a richer experience of community. So often we think of ourselves as a silo, right? I am me. I am an individual. But the fact is there's no way in which any of us exists independently. We are who we are because we are part of community. As Martin Luther King said, there's this um, web of mutuality. And whatever affects one directly affects all of us indirectly. So a deeper sense of self, a richer sense of community. And then last week, Katie invited us to think about different kinds of power. Power over versus power with. Today, we're going to talk about this. Daring to believe it is possible. So what is the it? Daring to believe it is possible. Change. Daring to believe that change is possible. Daring to believe that whatever it is we're envisioning, it's possible. In, in this book and in this conversation that we're having, it's really thinking about a life-sustaining, life-honoring future. That things can be different. The truth is, we face so many challenges in our world today. I want you to think about the Earth, this planet that we live on, live on. What are some of the challenges that we face that are really difficult to think about? Let's just name some of them. Relationships. Think specifically about what you're hearing about our planet. That's where I'm going with this. Global warming. The, the, Sea level rise, glacier. melting glaciers. The systematic um, dismantling of the laws that we have had to protect. Right. All the environmental protection laws that are being uh, systematically dismantled. The mass extinction, right? Scientists tell us that five times in the history of our planet there have been mass extinctions and we are approaching another one, we may actually be in the midst of another one. Extreme storms. Extreme storms, like weather events that we haven't seen before in our lifetimes, at least. Um, warming oceans, right? And we know that the Gulf of Maine is warming faster than 95% of the other oceans on this planet. Accelerating sea level rise and all the rest, okay? These are very difficult things to think about. And when we face difficult things, Oftentimes, we lean in one direction or another direction. The first direction we often lean is this direction, right? Denial, which Cliff, Bishop Cliff Ives this morning told us is a river. <laughs> denial. So what is denial? How does denial play into this? There's actually a couple different ways that denial plays out in thinking about the challenging realities of our planet. What's one of them? 
not even looking at the whole issue, just bury our heads in the sand, deny that it is even happening, right? Even though we can actually see it happening, and even though the scientific community is at consensus, it is happening, and the extraction and burning of fossil fuels is the cause. That is really not an opinion, that is scientific fact, okay? But denial is still powerful, people insisting it's not happening. That's one kind of denial. There's another kind of denial. Not my problem. Not my problem. Okay, somebody else can deal with it. Apathy. Well, it's all in God's hands. We don't have to do anything. Right. It's God's right. God's got it covered. We don't have to do anything. These are all other dimensions of denial, including the one that is it's sort of like, like this. This is just so difficult and so painful. And I think about my children or my grandchildren. I just can't think about this, okay? And that's actually a kind of self-defense mechanism, that kind of denial. I cannot deal with this, okay? So denial is one direction we can lean. Here's another direction that is no, uh, that is just as destructive, and that's this one. So what is despair? It's over. It's over, it's done. There's nothing we can do about this, right? It's hopeless. The problem is, someone much wiser than me said on an NPR show I was listening to the other day, and I do not remember who it was, and I could not find it online, said, if people feel like there's nothing they can do, they'll do worse. They'll do worse than nothing, right? Actually participate in destruction. So despair is not okay either. Denial, despair, and Joanna Macy says there is actually a third option, and that third option is active hope. And that goes along with this idea that we're exploring today, daring to believe that it is possible. Share a scripture passage which Randy kind of set up a few moments ago with the kids. This is taken from uh, the Gospel according to Matthew in the 19th chapter, where Jesus is with his disciples, and a rich young person comes along and asks Jesus a question. A man approached Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus is kind of grumpy here, I think. Why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. The man said, which ones? Then Jesus said, these should sound familiar, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, the young man replied, I've kept all of these. What am I still missing? Jesus said, if you want to be complete, Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away saddened because he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that it will be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. When his disciples heard this, they were stunned. 
Then who can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them carefully and said, It is impossible for human beings, but all things are possible for God. Say that with me. All things are possible for God. I like this passage for a couple reasons. First, this fundamental conviction that for God, all things are possible. Today, we're focusing on this idea that, that we're called to dare to believe it's possible, embracing active hope. Now, hope is different than optimism. How would you distinguish between optimism and hope? First, what's optimism? Say it a little louder. Positive thinking, okay? The glass is half full. Seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, right? Always assuming there'll be a happy ending. Well, that's, that, maybe that's more like hope, okay? So optimism is usually fairly passive. I don't have to do anything because this is going to end well, right? The cop is always... Does anyone know someone who's always optimistic? It's kind of annoying, isn't it? <laughs> so optimism is kind of passive. Hope, however, is much more active. Hope is being proactive. Hope is exhibiting agency toward achieving our goals and having a pathway toward them. Hope is deeper. Hope is this faithfulness, this fundamental conviction that whatever happens, whether it's a good positive outcome or a not so good positive outcome, that God is with us, that we are not alone, that God's love is for us. If you look around at the world and pay attention to history, we cannot, as people of faith, just assume that everything that happens is because God willed it to happen. Holocaust. We cannot assume that God is like a gumball machine, that if we put in the right coin or say the right prayer and turn the right way, that we will get exactly what we expect. That's not the way the world works. But we can trust that whatever happens, God is with us. We are not alone. So I like this passage because of this fundamental conviction that for God, with God, all things are possible. And secondly, I like the way Jesus challenges this young man. What good thing must I have to do to, eternal, to inherit eternal life? The young man asks. And Jesus says, keep the commandments. But then he says, if you want to be complete, go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor. He is really upping the charge there, isn't he? Right? This young man is probably looking for kind of an easy answer and reassurance, and Jesus actually ups the charge and says something more is required in the kingdom of God, that it requires a radical reorientation, a reshuffling of our priorities. Caring not just for self and one's own need, seeing oneself as an island or a silo, but actually having care for the common good and for the suffering of a brother or a sister or a sibling. Then who can be saved, Jesus' disciples ask. And Jesus looks at them with care and love and says, it's impossible for human beings, but all things are possible 
for God. Which is a really important reminder for us because we're living through a really difficult time in our country and in our world and we need to remember that no matter what happens that God is with us and God's love is for us. In this book, Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone distinguish between what they call static thinking and process thinking. Static thinking assumes that everything is fixed and solid and there's no possibility for change. What's done is done, change is impossible, and so we sink into what kind of attitude or behavior? Remember those two choices? Denial, despair, right? What's done is done, change is impossible, so we either live in denial or we live in despair. Process thinking, on the other hand, views reality more as a flow in which everything is continually moving from one state to another. Things may be one way now, but we have choices and there are external factors as well that influence what happens next and so change is always possible. Just because something isn't the way we want it to be now doesn't mean that it can't be later on. So process thinking invites us to what kind of attitude or behavior? Active hope, right? Leaning in with, with action, having a vision for how things could be, and thinking about the steps that it would take to get there. Let's just for a moment think about some social situations in the world that once seemed impossible, but today we know that they happened. You know what I'm saying? Something that at one time in human history or in world history, something seemed impossible, but through the hard work of people and God, things changed. The end of slavery. The end of slavery. A really good example, right? There was a time in United States history when slavery was just assumed, it was part of the fabric of the way our country worked, that a human being could own another human being. Our whole economy revolved around the owning of human beings and the forced labor. There were, there were those who said this is not the way it should be, but many in our country just assumed this was the way things were and they could not change. But slavery ended at least that kind of slavery. There are other kinds of slavery that continue. And we have a long way to go to keep fighting against racism, for sure. And you could talk about the school-to-prison pipeline and all the other aspects of it. But slavery as an institution ended. Okay, there's an example. What's another one? Recognition of women as human beings. Recognition of women as human beings. You know, if you read scriptures in both the Old and New Testament, Women were the possessions of their father given to their new husband as a possession. That's how women functioned 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. And even 100 years ago, this year we're celebrating the centennial of the 19th Amendment that gave women the right to vote. Did that just happen? No. No, it was a lot of hard work. It was... What's that? Go ahead. Yes, absolutely. We're talking, about a, we're talking about a subset of the world here, right? So patriarchy is alive and well, or alive and sick. Um, <laughs> in many, it, it's still in this country as well. But women have the right to vote. And that was the hard work of the suffragette movement and others, right? 
So that's another good example. One more? Same-sex marriage. Same marriage, right? And that's an interesting one, because people who study social change point to the fact that popular opinion around same-sex marriage flipped more quickly than most social issues flip. Just think about Maine as an example. In 2009, our Maine state legislature passed a new law allowing same-sex marriage. There was a backlash, which often, often happens as progress is made. And that same year on referendum, Mainers overturned that law. There was hard work. Three years later, in 2012, Maine was the first state in the country to adopt same-sex marriage by popular vote on a referendum. Three years. We overturned a law and then reinstated it in three years. That is lightning speed for that kind of social change, okay? Because people dared to believe it was possible and put in the heart, figured out the steps that they needed to take, the, converse, the hundreds and hundreds of conversations in cities and towns all over the state to change hearts and minds to make that happen. It did not just happen. It happened because of hard work. Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And it doesn't just bend on its own. It bends because people are bending and bending and bending and working with a goal in mind and pushing forward. So those are some examples. 2,000 years ago, Roman philosopher Seneca said, if one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. Isn't that a great quote? What does that mean? It means we have to have our sight on what it is we are aiming for, right? We have to have a destination in mind. So applied to this topic, <clears throat> Joanna Macy says, we need a common vision for a life-sustaining society. What would it look like to build systems and tear down other systems to make sure that this planet is life-sustaining? And then, what are the steps, what would it take to get there and to aim for those things? Joanna Macy calls this the great turning. She says, future generations, if there is a livable world for them, will look back at the epical transition we are making to a life-sustaining society. And they may well call this the time of the great turning. It is happening now. It is happening now. And we are the ones who must be a part of transitioning our society shaped primarily by this endless, unrestrained industrial growth to a society that is radically restructured to value community and a whole new set of values. A couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I shared this quote from Gus Speth, a scientist, uh, uh, climate scientist, environmentalist, and I wanted to share it again <clears throat> today because I think it bears repeating. He writes, I used to think the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address those problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural, 
and spiritual transformation. And here's the most important sentence of all in this quote. Are you ready for it? And we scientists don't know how to do that. Now, why is that important? Because a spiritual and cultural transformation is not something that scientists are equipped to navigate. Spiritual and cultural transformations are not within the purview of the science community. But they are absolutely within the purview of the faith community, the, the spiritual community, right? If this kind of cultural and spiritual transformation is to happen, it belongs to us. We are the ones that we have been waiting for. And it requires a fundamental shift in the way we uh, operate and live and move and have our beings. We can do simple things like change our light bulbs to LED, we can recycle, and we can even go solar. And those are small little steps, but what we really need is a spiritual and cultural transformation, challenging the primary dominant values of our Western society, which are individualism, what's mine is mine, right? Selfishness, consumerism, more is better. Challenging those values and replacing them with values like the ones that we say we have here at Hope Gateway. Community, inclusivity, creativity, simplicity, and transformation. And other values like generosity and compassion and equity, and we could keep that list going. It depends on people of faith and conscience to make this happen. If we sit back and wait for the science community, as important as science is, if we sit back and wait for the science community to tell us how to make our planet sustainable, we will never get there. It takes moral voices, voices of faith and conscience to get us there. And it be begins with daring to believe that it's possible. So Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done, right? It always seems impossible until it's done. So let's dare to believe it's possible. I want to leave you with these words that, uh, from Joanna Macy, which I think are, are hopeful, inspiring words. I'm not insisting that we be brimming with hope. It's okay to not be optimistic. Buddhist teachings say feeling that you have to maintain hope can wear you out. So just be present. The biggest gift you can give is to be absolutely present. And when you're worrying about whether you're hopeful or hopeless or pessimistic or optimistic, who cares? The main thing is that you're showing up, that you're here, and that you're finding ever more capacity to love this world because it will not be healed without that. That is what is going to unleash our intelligence and our ingenuity and our solidarity for the healing of the world. Amen.